0: try that again. There we go. All right. Romans chapter 13 is where we are. Romans 13. And going to look at this here uh, momentarily, but um, we have been studying through the book of Romans. We are almost done chapter 13 finally and and getting there anyways. And we're looking at tonight at the topic of, of time. In fact, time is running out. The time of the Lord and the time of our salvation is closer than when we first believed. Paul says that here in this text. And in light of that there should be an urgency to the Christian walk and there should be an urgency to what we do. And so that's what we're going to talk about this evening and I'm going to jump right into it in Romans 13 beginning in verse 11 and it says this and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And let's pray. Lord, again, it is our glad desire to come to you tonight, to open up your word. Lord, I pray you'd open it to our hearts, open it to our minds. Help us to sense the urgency of our walk, of a holy walk, a walk, Lord, that should exemplify Christ as we put him on. And so we ask this tonight, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen time, right? We are surrounded by clocks and alarms and all kinds of things, right? Notifications. I have a calendar that notifies me every time I have an event, and if I don't hear that, sometimes I miss the event, but you know, those kind of things, and we look at time, and certainly there is a matter of suspense with time. One of my favorite movies of all time is High Noon. Boy, that dates doesn't date me because it would happen it was a, a, a western that was done way back there in the 1950s I believe and high noon with Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly and the story is the the, the town marshal is uh, he's there everybody abandons him and uh, he has a, a gang that he has tried to put away that are they get out of prison or at least the lead fellow the outlaw gets out of prison and he's coming to town to stand off with that marshal and it the gunfight's going to take place at high noon and the whole movie really is a, a sense of uh, the clock that's ticking and ticking and ticking and of course I'll, if you haven't ever seen that movie great western I think is the best one of the best westerns ever made I really mean that but uh, and it really speaks to uh, the individual spirit of someone who's willing to stand up to do what's right and all that but I I like that movie because of the suspense and it's It's just that time as it ticks away and ticks away. You come to this passage and you sense that as well. When Paul says, and do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And really, um, in this day and age of Uh, everything that keeps us on track and timing and all those different things. I even have a countdown clock there on the opening slides so that we all kind of know when to get seated and when to start and all that. It helps us when this, especially in the mornings when we go live. uh, And uh, there's a few people that tune in on that later on. But if you're going to tell them that we're going to start, we need to start, right? We do that. Well, that's a minor thing. It really is. If we start a minute or two late or early or whatever else, nobody gets too bent out of shape on that. But you know what? In reality, the Christian life is a life, a succession of days. And a succession of days can be wasted or they can be built upon to do something good for the Lord. And as we get to this section of Romans where Paul's talking about the practical walk, how we're to live out our Christianity, he gives this, again, analogy of the time and the, particularly the time to awake something wrong when the day gets upon us and the sun is up and you know it's it's getting to be middle of the day and and you don't work the night shift here but you know you're work you're supposed to work in the day shift right now I know some of you work night shifts and you might be sleeping during that time but there would be something wrong if if that was your life that you always just said I'm just going to sleep through the whole day and sleep through the whole night right it's time to wake up the time is short and the time is running out and as Paul reminds us, for now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And of course, that's true. And he wrote that some 2,000 years ago now, almost 2,000 years ago, when Paul's writing this to the uh, church and those that will be reading it. Um, and he's saying it's even closer. And you know what? It's closer yet, isn't it? Our salvation. Our salvation is a reference there to i believe our eternal state when as christians when we die we go to be with the lord or when we're raptured out of this place or and the lord certainly that emphasis is found throughout scripture and there's a sense of urgency to it and there's a sense of urgency to live faithfully today and that's what i i really want to look at today as we, we go through this because sometimes we um We don't really think of those things. We live in the moment, right? And everybody lives in the moment more than probably they should. There's a clock online. You can go to it. It's kind of morbid. It's called the death clock. Google the death clock, okay? And you'll go to a page, and there is a clock, okay? And you plug in some information about yourself. You plug in your date of birth, and you can plug in your, uh, if you're a smoker or non-smoker, your, you know, BMI, your health, you know, as far as how heavy you are, how you are. And then it estimates about when you will die. Okay. Statistically, and it doesn't always get it right because there's people on uh, that you can add their birthdays and all that on there, and they're still alive and going strong. Um, and certainly others that probably prematurely have died uh, for various reasons on that. But if you look that up, you'll find out that uh, Tiger Woods is supposed to die on October 11th, 2049. How about that? I wonder if he knows that. I don't know. Tom Hanks, uh, April 20th, 2030, I and mean, he's only got about 12 years left. Okay. How about Arnold Schwarzenegger? May 11th, 2021. Wow, that's coming right up. I hate to say it. Now Donald Trump. I don't know if Mr. Trump knows this, but March 25th, 2020 so I don't know if he's going to run that year you know I don't know but I just say this that those are the things but I I laugh because if you put Billy Graham's date of birth in there and all that um, he was supposed to die August 18th 1992 well he just died this past year and he lived an extra 26 years there so uh, it doesn't always get it right I, I say that but in in some ways that is just a uh, oh, a, a gauge of statistics is really what it is. And it would certainly give someone an idea of about how they, long they would live an average lifespan with their, you know, dates of birth and weight and all that good stuff. But you know what? Uh, we don't really know when we're going to die. I, I plug myself in. Some of you wonder, when's he going, you know? Well, uh, August 6, 2043. All right? So uh, I, I, that's not very far either. I hate to say it, it's going quickly. And um, got to be careful with that, don't we? But August 6, 2043, how about that? Uh, when you, you can look at that in two different ways, that little death clock. And by the way, the Bible tells us to, to teach us to number our days, right? Now, how do you number your days when you can't foresee the future? Well, I think you number your days in the current day, and you were reminded that those days are a string of days, and they pile up rather quickly. You say, well, no, I mean, I remember being in sixth grade and I thought it would never end, you know, but I can tell you sixth grade, it was just a blink in my life already. And uh, as I look at that days go by, they continue on. And to understand this, our walk with the Lord, and that's where Paul's going in this text, talking about putting off and putting on, uh, put off the works of the flesh and put on Christ. Uh, he's saying our, our time is short. And we need to sense the urgency of why we need to live right now and live for Christ now. Not 10 years from now. Not 5 years from now. Not when we have all our life goals accomplished and all those things. And you know what? Live now for the Lord. And uh, there's no better time to begin to serve Him now. Even if you haven't in the past or have a string of wasted years. You know what? There's still time for that. We The Bible tells us here to awake, and now it is high time to awake out of sleep, that high time is the uh, the sense of, again, the urgency, it is absolutely now, you can't go any longer, in the morning, I have the great privilege of, uh, along with my wife, of trying to get our, some of our kids off to school still, you know, and all of you that have had kids, you know how that is, and you get them up, and then you hope that they're on the same clock you are, right, they, you know, get them going, and I'm looking at the clock thinking they're going to be late if we don't get out of here right now or the bus is coming this is it and you 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 try to impress them upon the urgency of things you know and yet it's a joy when occasionally this happens they get up and they are ready ahead of time and everything's in place right the lunches are made this is done all that and they're ready to go and I kind of look at it that's kind of like our our heavenly father right our Heavenly Father has given us everything to equip us for life and to equip us for a godly life. And we say, oh, I just want to sleep a little longer. I don't really want to get up and, and do those things, head off to school again. And yet, that's what He wants us to do. He wants us to do it because it's important and it's, in, it's for His glory, isn't it? And that's why He wants us to live for Him. But it would do us well to number our days. It would do us well to certainly keep in mind that our, our, that, that clock is ticking, you know. And it's going, and it's going, and it's going. There are some things here we, we need to look at. And verse 11, He uh, says this. This is all the more urgent. Oh, by the way, this is in the New Living Translation. I uh, read verse 11 in the King James, but looking at this one, the New Living Translation, I like how it has it here. It says, This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. That's where I got the title. I'm thinking, time is running out. It is running out. It really is. One of these days, I will not be occupying this earth. Okay. I might My body might be for a while, but the real me won't, okay? I believe I'll go to be with the Lord because He's paid the way and He's given me that ticket to heaven, uh, which is a precious blood of Christ that has washed away my sin, has saved me, and it's important, and it ought to live for Him. But there's coming a time where it'll be too late. "'Wake up, for your salvation is nearer than when, when we first believed.'" And again, you feel that urgency to say, wake up, wake up. <clears throat> the, um, if you remember uh, the doomsday clock, remember back in 1947 that started, a group of atomic scientists and geopolitical experts and all that, they uh, published mag- publish some writings, I don't think it's a magazine anymore, but they had come up with what they called the world's doomsday clock, and in 1947, they set it to seven minutes before midnight. Okay, midnight being doomsday. Okay, and over the years, it has fluctuated. It is. It is in 1953, it got down to two minutes when uh, the U.S. tested a thermonuclear uh, bomb, and the Soviets were doing the same thing in that same year, one previous to the other. And uh, the world was tense again. It got down to two minutes. They set the clock to two minutes before midnight. And from there, it went back and forth. In 1991, it went all the way back to 17 minutes before midnight. And that was when the Soviet Union broke up and they withdrew their nuclear weapons out of some of the other uh, former Soviet Union uh, states and brought them back into Russia and all kinds of things. And, but then it slowly kind of ticked away. And, of course, man estimates things. We really don't know the future. But in this year nineteen or two thousand eighteen, excuse me, uh, they moved it back to two minutes. Okay, and the sense of the urgency of the world's geopolitical climate and those kind of things. Well, I don't think the Christian needs to worry so much about those things, knowing that no matter what comes, though, we, we can't be separated from the love of God. That's Romans eight at the end of the chapter there. Um, No matter what the world throws at us or what the world does to help destroy itself or whatever else, we still have Christ and He's going to hold on to us through that. But I would say this that we need to wake up. We need to wake up to the important things and the matters of the heart in that the doomsday clock, and that's a good reminder of it there as it sits there at two minutes to midnight, right? Well, In verses 11 and 12 here, I'm going to move on to verse 12. He says, The night is far spent. The night is far spent. So you see the picture? It's it's behind us, okay? No more time to rest. No more time to, you know, stay in your bed. It's now time to get up and get dressed and move. He says, The day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. I like that analogy because, you see, uh, we are told throughout Scripture that the time is short and that this world that we're in is just transient at best, isn't it? Elsewhere, Paul writes this, Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, one of his earlier books that he writes to the church at Galatia, who gave himself, referring to Christ, for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Here, Paul reminds the believers in the province of Galatia that we're going to be delivered from this present evil age, this present world. And that's really the end result of walking with the Lord and, well, trusting Him to begin with, but that walk with Him. And Christ did that for us. He's our way out. He's our escape plan. And He's the only way out, by the way. And the world won't last forever forever. It says in First John chapter two verse seventeen, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, the desires of it, all those things they are passing away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. I love that verse right there. I think I've shared this before. That the part of uh, the second part of that verse is found on D.L. Moody's. Uh, well, it's not on his tombstone; it's on a memorial that's to him. Uh, down there in uh, in uh, Massachusetts on one of the campuses that he where he started a college and it, that first John 2 17 those uh verses right there um are found on that memorial to D.L. Moody the great evangelist and it's interesting I was talking to a missionary friend this was years ago now but probably over 25 years ago and I asked him uh about his family, and if anybody else was a Christian in his family, and he said, "Yeah, my dad became a Christian," and I said, "Well, how'd that happen?" And this was after this man did, and he said this. He said, "Well, he said it happened while um, uh, another another guy stayed home from church one day because he felt led to go and visit this guy. He went home to went over to his house and visited him. He lives right there in that town in Massachusetts." And the guy came under such conviction over hearing the gospel, all that, that he said, I'm done. He said, I got to go for a walk. He walked out. He went down to the end of the street. He came to that memorial to D.L. Moody where it says, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And those verses convicted him further and he got saved right there. (laughs) Again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? We know the Bible is powerful and it does those things. But I'll put it this way the first part of that verse reminds us of this world. It is passing away. Everything we see is short. It's transient at best. And as we looked at even this morning in this morning's message, it seems to kind of tailor with even this evening's message, even though I didn't plan it that way because they're two separate studies. Our book of Romans here in Romans 13 is, uh, uh, again, that practical part of our walk in that. And also in the book of Colossians, Paul makes the uh, same metaphor here, or use of the idea of a light. He's talking in Romans 13 about the, the light which comes from Christ, the walking in the light, awakening to the light, the, the day, as he uses that spiritual analogy. But he says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light right? It's not in darkness anymore. And he tells the Colossian church the same thing as he says to the people at Rome. He says, uh, put off the works of the flesh and walk or put on the light, which is Christ, right? He goes on to say this, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. You see the picture there. We've gone from darkness, not only wandering in darkness, groping in darkness, to trying to find our way, which you can never do because in your sin you'll be continually blinded. But he tells us he's taken us from that and he's put us into a new kingdom. We're now part of his kingdom, the kingdom of light. So if you're part of that kingdom, we need to act like that, don't we? That's the practical side of what we believe, or hopefully it is, right? We have to do that. We come uh, back to our text there. And in verses 12 and 13 of Romans 13, he says this, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. And we're going to look at those and then go back and, and we'll get to that last verse behind that one. But again, you sense that the time is getting away from us, so it's time to get dressed. It's time to put off and put on, as Paul uses those terms. Billy Graham, when uh, he used to preach on the second coming of Christ, and he uh, would use the analogy, uh, illustration of his grandfather, and at his, uh, um, his grandfather had an old clock. It was a grandfather clock, okay? And that clock would uh, chime on every hour. You know, at one it would go ding, and at two ding, ding, and it would do that all the way through till twelve. And on one particular night uh, in that household, uh, the, the, it, it rang thirteen times instead of twelve. There was a little malfunction. And a a boy who was sleeping in the house that night heard it. He got up in the middle of the night. This was midnight, okay? Instead of midnight, it it rang 13 times. And he yelled it out at the top of his lungs, It's later than it's ever been! (laughs) And I thought, boy, that's a good way to kind of come at it, you know? If you heard a clock chime 13 times instead of 12, you'd say, Something's wrong here. And it's later than it's ever been. And really, you could sum up those first two verses just like that. It's later than it's ever been. It's later now in our lives to deal with salvation, deal with the person of Christ, to believe on Him. And the Bible says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow never gets here, my friends. And yesterday is gone forever. And it's today. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Well, you have that, and then he goes on to say this, uh, not how we are not to walk, and these are the things that we need to put off. So we had to know something, the time is short, now we have to know what to put off. And he lists these things that are done in the dark, often. They're works of darkness, and the spiritual analogy here is not so much that it's the physical darkness around us, but it's spiritual darkness, it's sin. And sin will cause us to be live in a world that's dark. And he says, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. He pairs those six deeds there and he talks about them. And uh, the the first one there in the deeds of darkness is um, this idea of revelry. And the idea is not, you know, having a good time and, you know, just going out and laughing and all that. But it's, a, it's an idea that life's all about my nightlife, my party life. And that's the, the, the imagery that's used there. Somebody who continually just goes to live it up for the moment. Not in revelry. There, there should be a seriousness about our life. Now, I am all for having a good time, uh, not in drunkenness and all that. But I'm saying when Christians get together, man, we do a lot of laughing. The other night we went to a concert uh, down at Caribou and a group of us from Madawaska were there and we were louder than the rest because we were just having a good time. And Chris Micho was there too, that's why. That's what happens. But, and, and I think of that because you know, it's good. You get together with other Christians, people you haven't seen, and man, it's fun. It just is. It's a good time. That's not the kind of revelry we're talking about here. We're talking about the kind of revelry that goes out there and you know, you're know you just jumping from one bar to the next making fools of yourselves. Some of us have been there, (laughs) done dumb things in the dark. I I remember uh, uh, when I was in the service and listening to guys coming back to the barracks, sometimes three, four or five o'clock in the morning, hoping they'd make it in before first formation and they'd be coming in. And sometimes the MPs would be dropping them off. Sometimes they'd be coming in, you know, their buddies would be dragging them through the gate (laughs) all those different things, and they'd get there, and they'd say, wow, what a night, what a great night, well, it wasn't, because the next day, we didn't get any work out of them at all, not whatsoever, you know, I I remember one occasion being on alert, and we went on alert, and and this was, we never knew if it was a real alert, or a a false alert, you know, something like that, they'd just tell you, you're on alert, you had to go to, get ready to go to war at that point, and we'd get our vehicles all ready, and then we'd wait for the order, to either to move, or to stand down, and one time, I'm sitting in an armored vehicle that weighed about 40 tons. And my driver was so drunk, he couldn't drive. He was just sitting in his seat. And we were just, I was praying, we couldn't, we didn't move that day. And we didn't. And it's a good thing. You know, for a Christian, we should never be in a condition where we can't be used for the Lord. Sometimes we get there, though. And why would Paul have to write to people that he refers to as saints, right? Right? people the the believers and tell them that we're not to be in revelry and drunkenness probably because there are people that struggled with that and did those things and certainly that's how the world lives and it's expected of the world but it should not be of God's people not in drunkenness and that's just that drunkenness okay (laughs) abstaining really from anything that diminishes our abilities you know that's that's what we should be doing. Living soberly would be the opposite of that. And there's a lot of talk today. Well, what is drunkenness? And how much can I drink? And can I get away with that? Is there liberty as a Christian to drink a little bit? You know, maybe in private, not in public. You know, we, we make a lot of these comments and things like that. And my friends, I tell you, we ought to stay away from it as much as possible. I totally. The reason being is because it tends to lead to the, a lot worse things. And often leads to a lot of stupid things that take place. It's interesting. I remember when I took my uh, license, uh, I had to do my um, driver's license in New Brunswick. I had to take a test to drive a bus, okay? So I ended up having to do the written exam again to, uh, for the driver's test. And there was a question in New Brunswick uh, on their thing, and maybe in Maine too, but it's been a long time. I don't remember that one. But uh, it said this, um, how many drinks... Or how much, I think it was, how many drinks can you have alcohol before it impairs your judgment? And the answer was one. That's all. One. It wasn't even a term of how drunk you could be or this or that before you're legally driving under the influence. But the secular government system recognizes that even one drink impairs us. So for a Christian, should we be impaired? You know, in any, with anything? Not if we can help it. Now, I'm not talking about you know medicines that maybe take away pain that a doctor gives you or something like that for those times, but those two can be abused, can't they? And we have to be careful with that as Christians. And uh, I'm not playing a doctor. I don't pretend to play a doctor on those things. But I just say be careful of those things because under that heading of drunkenness, there's a lot of leeway. And for a believer, we ought to just walk away from that. Don't dabble with that. He says, not in in lewdness. And I think the old English was chambering, I think it says in the authorized version. And it comes from, the Greek word means a bed. All right? And the word chambering means sleeping around. And that's what Paul says, we aren't to be sleeping around. Driven by just sex. I mean, that's kind of where everybody's at today. I shouldn't say everybody, but but the world certainly would portray that if you watch anything on television or anything, you know, it's it's really come to a point where uh what what the Bible calls fornication and what the Bible calls sin is perfectly acceptable. And it's really dumbed us all down because there's so much of it, you know? I say us because honestly, it doesn't affect my heart like it used to. <laughs> And it's not because I I have looked on it intellectually any different. It's just we've been in the boiling water for so long, it doesn't feel hot anymore. And I, I have to go back and say, Lord, your word though says it's wrong. And it's caused a lot of hurt with people. Where people are very promiscuous, and that is, you know, that that is very much our society. I'm not kicking people when they're down either, because there's a lot of it that goes on. But there's there's a salvation from that. And I'll tell you, there'd be a lot less heartache and hurts in people's lives and in their marriages and all that if things were done God's way. Uh, I'm thankful, though, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. In uh, the book of Corinthians, Paul uses a list that's sort of similar to this. He adds a few things, and then he says, And such were some of you. Oh, boy, that hits me right here. (laughs) Because sometimes we like to point the finger and say, Oh, that's wrong. This is wrong. Look what that guy's done. Look what she's doing. And it goes right back to, but by the grace of God that rescued me, and I hope has rescued you, and I I trust he has. It's that easy because he wants to. He wants to put your feet on solid ground. He wants to put you back on a, a right path. And for believers, they can get caught up in these things too. And it's good to turn around and repent. That's biblical. He talks also about lewdness and then lust. Lust is just that, driven by our lust. It it could be uh, most often associated with the sexual desires, but lust can be all kinds of different things. Sometimes there's a lust for money, a a, a lust for power, a a lust for recognition, um, all kinds of different things. Strong desires, lusts for food, things that drive us. And for the Christian our motivator should be the Holy Spirit, and it should not be our own fl- flesh, and that's why you put off, all right? And the picture, I love what Paul does here. He, he takes a picture here of, in your mind of someone who is putting off the old deeds of the flesh, I've always wanted. I don't have another suit. I could do this too, but I, I I thought get a bigger suit a little bit and and rip it all up and and have all kinds of you know stains on it, things like that, and have that on to show up one day just like that. And you guys wonder what happened. Maybe you know he got run over or something or got beat up. I don't know, but have an old suit like that. But then as I do the message, just start taking things off. Now that might be interesting, but I, I, I but I have another suit underneath it. Okay. Good thing. <laughs> and that suit would be a, a fresh suit or a fresh shirt or whatever else. And that's the picture that he uses here of the Christian who's putting off the works of the flesh. It starts with the forgiveness of sin at the cross. Salvation. Because you know what? You can't put off the works of the flesh without Christ. There's a lot of people today that are they're trying to fix their, their cravings and desires if you've ever studied other religions, Buddhism, one of the uh, Buddhists uh, would hold to uh, what they call noble truths, okay, and there are truths about men, you know, our desires, our cravings, all that, and the answer to that is to eliminate those cravings, those lusts, those desires, and so a Buddhist will spend their whole life, hopefully if they're a good Buddhist, anyways, trying to do away with those desires and to a point where they, they don't get hungry anymore or they don't have any desire for the opposite sex or those kind of things. Now, I don't think it really works. Most of them will tell you it's a struggle at best. But that's what they try to do. But there's really, they're looking inward to find strength that is not there. Christians do the same thing sometimes. Or people who think they're Christians do the same thing. You can go to a church and the church can say, here, uh, we're going we're gonna, to you know, make you a Christian, all right? We're going to put a suit on you, whatever. You know, I'm saying that because that doesn't matter anyways, okay? I don't, don't need to be in a church and wear, you know, dress clothes by any means. But what I mean is this, that sometimes we clean up the outside, right? But the inside still just as rotten. Only Christ can clean the inside, and He starts there, and it goes out. It goes out. That's what we need to do. Remember reading a book, uh, "A View from the Zoo," Uh, was the it was a devotional book. It was a devotional book that uh, this zookeeper put together, a view from the zoo. Okay. And it wasn't the pastor looking out at the congregation or you looking back one or the other. I often feel like the guy actually behind the cage, you know, uh, stuck here and don't feed me. Okay. You know, but uh, I, I, it was neat because he went through a whole bunch of analogies of animals, things he learned from animals and he used them in a spiritual context. And I remember him talking about a raccoon that they had taken in as a baby. Now, uh, I was a game warden son, and we had, I think, three different litters of raccoons that we had brought into our house at one time or another while I was growing up. We raised them up, but I remember in the fall, every year, my dad saying, all right, it's time for them to go. And I, and I used to think, why? They're so nice. They're cute. They're little. They would." F- I have a picture I showed Vinny the other day of them following me around when I was four or five years old. And uh, walking in mud puddles and little raccoons following me. And they're just adorable when they're that size and even through that first year. But there's something that happens to a raccoon. When it goes into hibernation, it comes out the next year a wild animal again. And many people who have taken in orphaned raccoons as babies have found that out the hard way when next year the things attacked them or bitten them or done something nasty to their other pets, you know. And his, the reminder was this, you can, you can take a wild animal and bring it into your home and you can treat it like it's a pet and you can, you know, keep it like that. But at the heart of that animal is still wildness. You know what? It's going to bite you one of these days. And I I know very few exceptions to that. uh, in when it comes to those kind of things, because instinct is strong. The nature inside us is strong. For the sinner, it's the same way. You can bring a sinner into church. You can put him in a club of Christians or whatever you want to call it and say, Now you're a Christian. And if the inside hasn't been changed, guess what? The sin's going to still reign because it will. That's why he says uh, when, when he talks about putting off and being translated into a new kingdom, that's how we are. That's all talking about our. The way we uh, do things. And then strife and envy. Strife is just that, strife. There are people that their lives are marked by strife. They fight with their wife. They fight with their kids. They fight with their boss. They fight with the next door neighbor. They fight with everybody. And the guy that even they don't want to fight with, they fight with, right? Strife, strife, strife. And that's that's a fruit of unrighteousness. And there are people that name the name of Christ, and that's the way they are. We aren't to be that way. It's, it's what the world expects, right? I mean, you, you see that. And a guy comes back from his night of out reveling or whatever, and, and he's got a black eye and a few extra bruises, and, and you go, okay, you know, got what he deserved that time. But it shouldn't be that of Christians, should it? Not at all. Paul talks about that. And then he says, not in envy. Envy is that thing that drives so many people. And they look out and they say, why do they have that? And I want that. The root of it is covetousness. And we have to be careful about that, don't we? Covetousness. It's simply this. And by the way, it's part of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. Not only material things, but people, right? You're not to covet your neighbor's wife. You're not to covet your neighbor's, neighbor's goods. I think for the Christian, we ought to be satisfied with what he's given us. And that too, it isn't easy, but it's worth it. Because otherwise you're driven to go and to extend yourself, you know, in areas or steal something or all that. There's all kinds of things that come out of that. I won't go on that. And, And again, these are, as we've gone through this book of Romans, we come to this section and I'm, you know, they're not real exciting to preach on these sins of the flesh, but they're real. And they're struggles that every single one of us have faced probably in some way, shape or form. Or have felt it in our lives, even from other people that have gone through that. Lots of heartache, lots of abusive situations, and we live in a broken world that has faced some difficult things. I, I marvel sometimes when um, when people come to me or over the years have come to me and they open up about their past, open up about the things that happened to them, those things. And just when I think I've about heard it all, somebody comes with something new. And I go, wow. And it makes me, number one, thankful that I... I didn't have that kind of past upbringing, but a lot of people did. Had a real hard time. I know some of you right here in this room probably have had that kind of uh, past that you didn't choose it, but it kind of still shaped you in a lot of ways and did that. But for the Christian, we can break free from that. And I'm thankful for that. Well, put off the deeds of the flesh. And there's something to what what, this is the other great thing this is where we're going to end up here tonight is the lord doesn't leave us naked okay the world does religion does religion will strip you of who you are and and leave you there without anything to put on okay but god never does that if you're gonna take something off he's gonna adorn you with something better and that's what he talks about here he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. You want to know the victory over the flesh? Put on Christ. It's that simple. I, I mean, if people would just obey that verse, we'd have a lot better life as Christians. Instead, we say, well, I've got to find a book that deals with this, or I've got to find this, uh, you know, uh, uh, some 12 step program or whatever. Some of that's good, but you know what? Sometimes just go back to the book and obey it put on christ and as i said before and i can't emphasize enough it begins by putting him on by faith you say lord i believe and trust him he'll forgive you of his of your sins you'll just put yourself before him and say lord forgive me of my sins and then you know what you put on christ he comes to dwell within you he's in your heart so to speak because that's what he does his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God oh what a wonderful truth I remember that when I was 18 years old and I finally May 8th of 1988 okay that was the date that I was introduced to the Savior Uh, It's it's 30 years ago wow and I, I remember the consciousness I had of God that was new in my life that I'd never had before and that's experiential. I, I'm not big on the experiential stuff. You know, sometimes that's kind of a hokey, right? But I'm telling you, when you meet the master of the universe, the creator of all things, and he forgives you of your sins, it should be an experience. It should be something different. And I'll tell you, I knew something had gone on differently in my heart, so to speak, because all of a sudden my mind was consumed with him and not with all the things I had been engaged in before. And I had Done a lot of sin. I could have done a lot more, but I'd done a lot of sin by then, by age 18. A lot of other things too. And, and you know, as I look at that, I put off some things. I remember doing that. Uh, when I got saved, I, I had some stuff I was listening to I knew was wrong. I went and destroyed it. I had some stuff I was looking at that was wrong. I went and destroyed it. Uh, I had some friends that always brought me down the wrong path. And I witnessed to them, but eventually I had to leave and just walk away. Some of that's been reconciled over the years as God's allowed opportunity. But I, I think back to those things you have to sometimes put off, but put on too. Put on Christ. Be real with Him. And you say, well, what's it like to put on Christ? What does is, what is a garment adorned by Christ look like? Well, I thought of a few things. Number one, it's, it's holy. Not in a boring kind of weird holiness, <laughs> you know. But a holy aspect that a person, when they're right with God, there's just something really powerful about them when they're right with the Lord. How about his beauty? His spiritual beauty. All those things. How about his humility? Adorned with humility in a world that is nothing but proud in every sense. When a Christian's humble, truly humble, not just self, you know, humble and in a self righteous way. There's something totally different about that. And occasionally you run into people that you find out they're someone that really could make a great name for themselves but haven't because they don't make much of themselves, they make much of Him. And it's it's very attractive. How about purity? Purity. You know, Jesus who lived in a certain time here on this earth definitely he lived in in times that were different but yet in many ways spiritually the same filled with a world of sinners that were caught up in all kinds of sins of the flesh in idolatry and all those different things and yet he walked pure he being god the son he walked pure in every way the bible says he did no sin he knew no sin in him there was no sin If you put on Christ, you'll walk pure. How about compassion? Adorned with compassion, we need a few people that, more than a few people, a lot of people, Christians who have compassion. I love that. How about wisdom? Oh boy, that's for sure. We need wisdom. And I think that ought to be a part of our prayer every day. Lord, give me wisdom. I don't want to, number one, make you look bad, Lord, by doing something really dumb but I don't want to mess this up either. I want to walk right. Well, that takes wisdom. Where can you find the truth of how to live? Back to the book, right? Read it. Be in it every day. I'm always amazed that as I systematically go through the scriptures and read it, he so often will give me a passage or a verse that day, and the very day that I read that, something comes up. And I remember back to what I read that morning or the night before or something like that. And I'll go, wow, he gave me that yesterday or today there just to to let me know that this situation is how we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do. He does that all the time. I really should be journaling some of those things. I have a few things I've written down, but there are many. Take him up on that if you haven't done that already. How about his forgiveness? That's a big one. Have you been able to forgive people that have harmed you and hurt you? There are people in my life I look back at that there were a few that I could look back at that really, they did some bad things over the years. And some of some them pointed towards me, you know. And I have a hard time with that. But you know what? I've had to get down and just ask the Lord to forgive them on those things. Even though, I mean, in my heart, I know I was right. <laughs> at least I think I was, right? But you know what? Forgive them. And it's hard to be angry with someone and harbor resentment when we have forgiven them and we've been praying for them do that how about his righteousness that goes with his purity Christ is always right and we need to have that kind of right standing before God now positionally if you're in Christ you're saved you have that your sins have been carried away they've been thrown away as far as the east is to the west they are no longer before God and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness right and and I'm thankful for that. But in the practical aspect of that, as we walk in these sinful, carnal bodies, how are you living out the righteousness of Christ? And then how about his zeal? His zeal. Oh, Christ was so... He was zealous to do things, right? To preach and to go to see people. And as he said in John 4, I must needs go through Samaria. Why would he do that? Because there was a woman that needed to hear about him. And why would he do that journey in the end to the cross and welcome it? Why would He sit with His disciples at that last meal and say, in Luke's Gospel, I have desired to have this meal with you? Because He was driven by His zeal to do the will of the Father and He did it with great joy. How about His patience? How about His love? Right? All those areas of, that we could look at. Well, my friends, it's high time that we wake up, right? It's high time because the day is upon us and our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And here we are another hour into things from the time we started this service and it's even nearer yet. Are you ready? Are you preparing? Are you walking? There was a pastor who was getting ready to go off on vacation and he needed to fill up his car before heading off for a busy weekend, probably Memorial Day weekend just coming up, right? Uh, but a weekend such as that. And he turned into the gas station and there was a long line of cars and he waited and he waited and he waited. and He finally got to the pumps and the attendant was there and the attendant recognized him. He said, he said, uh, uh, he says, sir, I, He said, I'm so sorry for your long wait He says, but it seems like people always wait to the last minute when they're going off on a long trip. And he says, yeah, he says, you and I are in the same business. (laughs) You know what? Don't wait to the last minute to get ready for the long trip. We can live for him now. Father, we are so thankful for the word of God. Again, thankful that you have given it to us uh, even this evening and for what the apostle Paul has uh, taught us through his words and the Holy Spirit having taught us, really, through God's Word. And Lord, we ask, too, that we would sense the urgency of living for Christ, sense the urgency of of reaching out to others also. And Lord, we'd be thankful for what you're doing in our life, and help us to walk as we should, to put on Jesus Christ in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.